Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're still in Oslo. We like it here. Yep, we've got a couple more shows. The weather hasn't been all that nice this time around. Uh, it's not been bad. Like, yeah. I haven't had to wear a coat or anything. That's true. It's but been it's a little, little cloudy. Yeah. But, like, tomorrow is the, the solstice, like the longest night of the or longest day of the year tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It'll, it barely gets dark here. That's true. Yeah, and luckily I, I keep my shades drawn so I can actually sleep. Right. Otherwise, yeah, never blackout shades are important in this town. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun, but uh, we have a couple more shows, as I say. Amber McKenzie's here, but before we talk to her, we have this little thing called Better Know a Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? You know, somebody actually called out on Twitter, what? Replacing the crazy music is an option? Do it! I hate that thing! <laughs> that was always your line. You were the one who was supposed to hate that music. Yeah, I know. All right, well, this is pretty creepy, actually. Okay. Uh, what Speaking I have. Speaking of artificial intelligence. Yeah, this is um, a, a paper, actually, from okay. the IEEE Conference on Computer Vision and Pattern Recognition 2019. Speech to face. What? Learning the face behind a voice. So what this does is you input a waveform, and it can approximate what your face looks like based on the sound of your voice and analysis of your voice. And they actually have some examples here. It's absolutely uncanny. Have you seen this? I have not. Just take a look at this. It's not bad. I mean, they're not exact, but not bad. Uh, how do you get hair color from a voice? Well, they, yeah, the hair color is, yeah, irrelevant. Probably a lot from of the, facial structure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but I, I presume it's like certain tones are related to certain uh, uh, regional types, and that's going to give you some facial shapes. Like, Although this is just probably a neural model, which means it if you fed it enough data... Yeah. You're going to get some kind of approximation. It's really and creepy. This is a GitHub project you're showing, too. Yeah. So we could take it out for a spin if we want. It's absolutely kind of strange. Um, I, I didn't see a way to actually use the code. It is um, speech2face.github.io, but mm -hmm. I didn't see a repo, and I didn't see any way to run the code. It's really a paper, but uh, perhaps we'll get a, uh, you know, perhaps we'll get more information on this later. Crazy. It is crazy. All right. But I thought this it was the world we're in. good conversation starter anyway. But uh, who's talking to us today, Richard? Grab a comment off a show 1591, which we did at NDC Sydney and published on October of 2018. And that was the one we did about uh, with Augustinus Nalwin. Oh, we yeah. talked about artificial intelligence and the singularity. Yeah. Not that that didn't get weird. Little Kurtzwheel references here and there. It was kind of a replay of a lot of conversations that we have had over whiskey. Yes. Without the recorders. Without the recorders, yeah. And this comment just a few months ago is from Shinto Paul, who said, uh, Hey, Carl and Richard, this is one of the best podcasts that's kept me engaged during my one and a half hours of commuting. Mm. I had a question with one of your comments on why we can't easily understand the decisions that AI make. For example, the car was identified as having a special type of headrest, uh, or I'm not sure exactly what that's in reference to. Uh, why can't AI or whatever code it is is making a decision based on the input spit out those inputs with a ranking so that a human can understand how the decision was made? That's, oh. you know, the issue we were talking about is how neural nets, you know, basically jump to a conclusion mm. uh, because that's how they're trained. Right. 
and there's really no way to decode that in the current forms, but there's lots of people working on it. That's like the DARPA explainable AI project is specifically about how to have neural nets break information down like that. Not that they right. actually said to solve that. So I think we didn't, perhaps didn't explain that particularly well. There's just no real decision chain visible in a neural net. Mm. Uh, either way, I thought, you know, great question, and uh, certainly appreciate your comment. Glad you liked the show. Yeah. And a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you were to comment on that show and we read it, read it on our show, mm -hmm. we'd send you a copy of Music to Code By. Absolutely. Definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet so we can figure out what your fingers look like. <laughs> All right. You totally creeped me out just, just like that. It's like, nah, it's not going to work like that, man. But okay. <laughs> no way. We could put some Star Trek. There's some residual energy from nice. your fingers that... Uh... That's right. Pictures of fingers derived from tweets. Right. Okay. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, let's introduce our esteemed guest, Amber McKenzie, otherwise known as Doc Am. I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to make it stick. Doc Am. We'll call you Doc Am. Well, Doc Am <laughs> is... We're in. <laughs> she's a manager of emerging technologies at PwC with a master's degree in linguistics and a PhD in computer science. She has over 10 years' experience in data science and natural language processing. Her professional interests include NLP, machine learning, predictive modeling, and computer learning, when she does get a spare moment outside of work, she enjoys reading board games, dabbling with Arduinos and Raspberry Pis, and lifting weights. Welcome, Amber. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being yeah. on the show. Uh, what did you think about that creepy speech-to-face <laughs> thing? <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised that we're headed in that direction. Yeah. They've already got things where if you have enough video of someone, and oh, you can, you yeah, you can take other speech. And sort of map it onto their face so right. that you can make somebody say the deep fake. Yeah. So there's all sorts of stuff coming out. There's two parts to that. And I heard this on a, uh, I think it was a radio lab. Um, and it was a project at Adobe. The, the first part is that they can just, you can just type some, what you want somebody to say. And they have a transcript of, of somebody talking. And you say, I want them to say this. And then they'll, on the fly, create a speech synthesizer out of the phonemes that they pull from the sampled speech and make that person say that. So audio-wise, you got that. And then they do the same with video, except yeah. that you can make somebody say something they didn't say. Not only does it sound like they said it, but it, you can actually see them saying it. Yeah, I find Ouch. it super interesting because I, you know, one of the problems that they had with video games when they were trying to make them super realistic is right. that the more realistic you make it, the more weird it looked. The uncanny and, valley effect. Right. And but then they just were like, "Oh, we'll just scrap that and use actual people." Yeah, right. <laughs> and, easier. Right. We could just have <laughs> enough video of them and then we'll make them do whatever we want. Oh, man. But I, I I've been using the Uncanny Valley reference, which is originally about robotics, right? And as long as robotics right. stay cartoony or mechanical, nobody minds. But as soon as you start making them look like people, they dip into this thing that's sort of a visceral negative reaction. That's right. Yeah. But I think we're starting to feel that now around a lot of these AI techs. Like you sort of get mm. this visceral, that's creepy reaction. Well, and at the point where you can no longer trust your senses, what you can go insane. How, how do you do that? Yeah, well, so I think there are two sides. There are the people who 
who are aware of that and are like, oh no, that's not okay. Like, I'm right. <laughs> that's super creepy. And then there are people who don't know enough about this tech that they just, it's going to seamlessly blend in with all the other stuff they don't check to see if it's right. right exactly. You yeah, know, and that's right. just going to sort of, and that's where the scary part is. Sure. Honestly, it's not, I'm not scared about the people who find it weird and want to know. I'm scared for the people who don't know and are just going to accept it. Yeah. Right. You know, there was a terribly bad cheap, deep fake made of Donald Trump talking. It was a, it was a Belgian activist group that is actually angry that the Belgian government wasn't complying with the Paris Accords. Okay. And so they made this, Really poor quality deep fake of Donald <laughs> Trump talking about you don't know, bother with the Paris Accords, huh. and uh, and it even ends with you know this is a fake and this is what we want to do. But people were simply responding to it as if it was an actual video. And yes, like, yeah. it completely backfired. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, and that played into the fake news narrative, yeah. which you know apparently you can create now. Now the AI, there is AI that can detect the deep fake even if you can't detect it. Right, working on that. Yeah, I no, I think I've seen some demonstrations of it. And it's, yep. It, it it this sounds seems like an arms race. Oh yeah. Right. Well, I mean, are they really going to be able to go out and do that for all the videos that are out there and mm. find the ones that are fake? You know, that's a lot of data to go through. Yeah. Mm. So you know. And it's compounding daily. Mm. It's true. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think it's a worthy fight. Oh, for sure. But it For brings sure. up this ethical question uh, that deeply surrounds AI and machine learning and all these things that we're heading towards. It's just a matter of time at this pace before, you know, we create a god, <laughs> you know, something that has uh, the ability to change itself and uh, program itself. And I don't know. I think that. So Not there are now. these. No, I think we're a little ways away, which is nice. I think a long way away. Yeah. Like we, um, we have no concept of our own consciousness, really. How would we make another one? Right. Well, and, the, and even before that, there's so many hard problems yeah. right now in AI. I mean, generating language that's actually, I mean, we still don't have like a chat bot that can get very far with conversing mm, with sure. you, you know, and um, things like that. So mm. uh, from the language side, we're not anywhere close. And mm. um, I mean, there's a number of other things, you know, Boston Dynamics is doing some great stuff in robotics. Yeah, but, they are. You know, they're not doing like necessarily autonomous, right? They're no. still telling it what to do. They're telling it what, you know, they're just, right. that's largely a physics thing. Yeah, so, it's just a know. very fancy remote control car. It's right, exactly. Legs. <laughs> <laughs> very fancy yeah. remote control car. <laughs> right. But, you know, I, I take your, your point that it's the, you know, humans tend to anthropomorphize. That they, they, they give more credit for human behavior of their technology than it actually has. Mm. So it's really funny. I, I would love to do a talk on both the ethics side, but also the psychology side, mm -hmm. because it's funny. There are ways in which people are very adverse to technology. So right. I think, I mean, I think the largest reason we don't have self-driving cars is because people get freaked out every time it kills somebody. And right, I'm like, right. you know how much less killing we yeah, would have with right. autonomous cars? You guys yeah. don't understand this. But mm. at the same time, so they did a study where they had, um, they had this robot that was supposed to be an emergency robot, and it was supposed to help you in the case of an emergency, lead you to safety, whatever. Right. And they did a study where they had two groups of people, and one group got a demonstration of the robot, and the robot worked fine. It did everything it was supposed to. And then did another one where the robot was broken and so it like 
went into a corner and just kind of started hitting the corner, right? It didn't do what it was supposed to. Uh, right. And then they simulated an emergency and it, they didn't find any difference between the people who had seen either one. They still followed the robot, even if it went into like, it a darkened cool. room wow. that was like blocked with furniture. They right. still, you know, like se- something like 70 percent wow. followed the robot, regardless of whether they had seen it work break or not down work. or not. So yeah. there's oh, there's man. part of people that that just naturally gravitate towards technology and think that it's, you know, infallible. But then there's this other side where people are like, no, you know, we can't have we can't that. Do any of this. It's a weird, it's a weird so psychology. It dichotomy. brings me back to the conversation we were with Kathy O'Neill about weapons of math destruction. Oh yeah. yeah. And which, what she was talking about is as soon as the computer would give instructions to an operator, the operator just presumed the instructions were correct. Oh yeah. Like we just not challenge the data. Even I mean, when you know, computers are infallible, right? Right. <laughs> so they have these, where I come from, they have these supermarkets called Stop and Shop. And they just started putting in the Northeast mm-hmm. ro- robots in the store. And they're, they're humanoid. I won't say they're humanoid, but, you know, it has cameras in a, along what you would call a neck. And, right. and it has kind of a face on it. But it's not, it's de- you definitely don't think it's a human. It has wheels, and its job is to roam the store, look for cleanups, and then report them. And so you see a lot of cleanup on, you hear a lot of cleanup on aisle six, right? And, but these things just are, are weird. Like, they're, they're <laughs> taking up space, they're moving slow, they're blocking the way, you know, it, it's kind of strange. Are they following people? They're not following people, but they do, you know, it's or do just kind of weird. people feel like you're, they're being followed? You're trying to decide which pickles you want. Right. You look left, and then there's this thing looking at you. Yes. And they, again, but, you're anthropomorphizing. But right. It's, it's true. And, and that's, I mean, it's largely a cultural thing. Because mm-hmm. if you think of places like Japan, I mean, they've got yeah. robots all over, and that's just a thing. Right. right? Yeah. And, and everybody's sort of fine with that. So... There is a large cultural component as to whether we're comfortable with this, how you know ubiquitous it is in our society, and things like that. And there's a difference in the culture too. Like I, I can't imagine anybody in Japan uh, would consider a robot anything but benevolent, right? You know, uh, yeah, well, they're made to serve people in the most ridiculous ways. Right. Whereas here, you know, we don't. Quite trust them. Trusting. Maybe well, it's because of Hollywood. I don't know, um, but I get a little well, creeped first, out when the I'm, first time the public heard of artificial intelligence was in 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah, and Hal did try to kill everybody, didn't and basically succeeded. Didn't well, you're, end they're well. either going to kill us or they're going to be our best friend. Yeah, like there's, there's no middle ground. No. Right. In Japan, they make them look like cute puppies and stuff. And it's they, true. They just you know. In one of my presentations, I have a picture of like a hotel registration desk, and it's got a person-looking one, and then just a robot-looking one, and mm. then a dinosaur-looking one. <laughs> <laughs> so those are your three options. I wonder if the dinosaur-looking one would be the most popular. I don't know. Because it's yeah. a little cartoony. It sort of touches. And it could be a generational thing, too. Like it's true. If you're someone who grew up as a kid fascinated by dinosaurs, the dinosaur thing's going to really work for you. It's going to give you a positive effect on it. I mean, the dinosaur one's going to get all the nerds, right? Well, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's given. That's that or Princess Leia. Uh, I'm thinking to, and again, it's, you talk about different in, difference in culture. There was, a, there was a hitchhiking robot a few years ago 
mm-hmm. that oh, they were yeah. put out in the West. And I think it lasted a day. And yeah. they found it smashed oh, to yeah. pieces. Got beat like, up. People just took, vi- you know, committed violence upon this, this harmless robot. It makes me sad for our society sometimes. Although there's the other side of that when Boston Dynamics was making those videos and they were like taking the box or moving it or pushing over the robot to show how yeah, it's balanced. Yeah, taking a stick like, and Why are it? you being so mean, in air quotes, to the robot? Yeah, well, there, so there was another study that somebody did. I went to one of her talks and... Um, she had like a little dinosaur robot and right. she gave them to groups mm-hmm. and had them interact with them. And some of the groups she told to name the robot. Right. And some of the groups she didn't. And right. then she asked all of them to smash it with a hammer. And she's like, keep in mind that this was just a little mechanical. Rob, you and know, you've only seen it toy. for an hour. Right. But the people who had named it were. Nope. Yeah. Like they were not okay with smashing the robot. So that's robot. manipulating anthropomorphization to a benefit, I think. Right. To, to sort of take care of the device in that respect. Well, and that, you know, that sort of ties in when you're saying the robot went hitchhiking. Well, yeah. you know, they didn't name it, I'm sure, before, yeah. <laughs> before it just they destroyed a little, it. It just needed a little sticker on it that said, hi, I'm Bob. Everything would have been fine if it just said, hi, I'm Bob. Will you help me? <laughs> yes, yeah. Please be kind to me. Hello, my name is. <laughs> sticker. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. One thing that bothers me, and I didn't know where you wanted to drive this conversation, we'll let you do that, but um, one thing that bothers me about mainstream media is the overuse of words like AI and machine <laughs> learning and oh, yes. all these things. You know, there's a lot of AI attributed to stuff that's just programming. Right. And what's the difference? Yeah, so <laughs> this has happened with a number of things, right, over the years that... Yeah. It becomes a, a hot topic, and then it everybody, everybody wants it, and so it so everybody then markets it because if everybody wants AI and you're not offering AI, yeah. I had this conversation with one of my cloud um, computing, yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, blockchain, blockchain. Right. Wasn't, there a, wasn't there a iced tea that changed its name to ice to blockchain and tripled sales? Right, like it's <laughs> it's that nuts. It's true. I had a, I had this conversation with a CTO because it was it was really bothering me um, that. AI, the same thing with natural language processing, the same thing a little bit with machine learning, and and that everybody was just using it. And he's like, I was like, I was, you know, saying we should we should change our our terminology around it because I didn't want to jump mm. on that bandwagon. Right. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, nobody is going to give us a gold star for using the terminology correct. Like mm. we're not. One some client who is going to come and do business with us is not going to be like, oh, you guys are actually using the terms right. Right, You're actually, that's not right. what's going to make the difference. Right, like that's not. And yeah. he's like, they're just not going to come and and work with us because we're not offering the things that are out there. Right. And so that's sort of a trap that you fall into, but that you can't do anything about. And right now, AI is there. So in my talk, I talked about at the beginning, AI as it is. So general artificial intelligence mm-hmm. um, and then I was like and now we're going to talk about AI for business and you're not meaning artificial generalized intelligence but the general term artificial intelligence yeah both actually okay. together yep so I wanted them to see the difference mm-hmm. between things that people are doing out in actual researchy AI sure. right mm-hmm. versus okay and now here's AI for business which is kind of a different thing sure right. um and so, and then we go through, you know, the the different th- 
facets of AI for business and what people are doing and, and how to deconstruct a problem and that sort of thing. But I, I wanted them to notice that there is a difference. Like when you talk about AI for business, you're not talking about somebody building a robot that's going to talk to you necessarily. Right. Right. You know, we're, we're largely talking about machine learning or deep learning yes. or a chat bot. Or even just or, data analytics. Like Yes, you unfortunately. <laughs> well, you get so much value. You know, how many organizations have collected tremendous amounts of data they're just getting no value from? It's true. And, and yep. they get huge reference from that. The fact that they want to put it under the AI moniker just makes everyone a little more confused. So then is artificial intelligence something that we ascribe to a technology that awes us to a certain level that we say, oh, that's artificial intelligence? Or, a is, bit, it yep. a, or is it an intrinsic definition? So I, I think it's a little bit of that. It's the same type of thing that happened with big data, right? right? Is big data became what is data that you can't handle, right, right? right? It's not, everybody was like, what's the definition? How big is big data? Right. Well, there isn't. If you are having a hard time yeah. processing it, it's big data now, But right? as soon as you got good at processing it, you changed its name. It became predictive analytics. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. So it, you apply that to artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is whatever technology we've got that currently doesn't work. As soon as it does work, we'll change its name, right? I like when the it. voice stuff didn't work, it was artificial intelligence. Now it works in its natural language processing. I would right. much rather work with small data. <laughs> I'm a small well, everybody data takes data and they're like, I have data, let's do something with it. Right. Which is the wrong approach, right? You need to still approach it just like you do software engineering. You don't just go and build... You don't just go build a piece of software because a new library came out, mm -hmm, right? Sure. You need you have a business problem and you're like, oh, I think I could use this new library to fit the business problem, yeah. sure. which is how it should be. But now everybody's like, I need AI. Throw some machine learning at this problem. Yes. And I'm like, it doesn't, no, that's not yeah. how it works. And, and machine learning isn't going to be used for this problem. Right. So, you know, I work on kind of teaching people the, the actual hard part are, is the design phase. So right. essentially like what is your business problem mm -hmm. and what level of technology do I need? Mm -hmm. The rest of it is easy. Honestly, you have a once machine. Once you've done that scoping yeah, properly. Once you have, you know, if you've got a machine learning engineer, a data scientist, they're going to go throw the data in. They're going to clean it. They're going to run it through some models. They're going to experiment. They're going to iterate. They're going to give out some result. Mm -hmm. That's the easy part. Everybody sure. views that as the hard part. It's not. Yeah. The hard part is Okay, talk to your business people. Find out what is it that they need. What right. level what do, do they, they need know? it at? Business intelligence level? Can you just go throw it in Tableau and get them out a report? Right. Do they need some data science? Are we going to kind of predict something that's coming up in the future? Mm -hmm. Or do we really need some AI? Like, do we need some, you know, computer learning that's going to kind of change over time? That's a little more AI than just predictive modeling, right. machine learning, and um you know, do we need some computer vision that gets in a little more on the AI side, right? Yep. So mm -hmm. it's hard to break people of that mold where like, if I don't have AI in my solution, I am not keeping up with everybody else. So all you, you really know? need is a sticker, right? That says AI. <laughs> it's certified. Yeah, you exactly. stick it on there. It's like, hey, you got AI in your solution. Well, you know, Watson did that, yeah, right? Yeah. IBM is like, oh, work with us and you'll be able to say you're powered by Watson. Like right, that yeah. was their it thing. It was a branding exercise. Yes. Not and, a product. And Watson mm. is, I mean, Watson is fine and, and it works very well for certain applications, but it's not a catch-all, but no. everybody thinks it is. I've yeah. had people come in and they're like, oh, well, let's just go get Watson to do this. And I'm like, 
that's not how any of this works. I say that a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, remember that commercial with yes. like the Facebook thing where they're either crushing the candies or she's got pictures up on her wall and they're like, that's not how any of this works. <laughs> that's sort of my tagline now. Yeah, no, it, I think that's really fair. And it's, again, like, literally people just want it squirted on all the things. It's true. Right, so. yep. there, there's your real answer. Is you just get a water spray water bottle with, some AI. with a sticker on it that says AI. Put some sparkles you know. in it. Just, yeah, you're done. You're good. <laughs> Look at you. You're so pretty. Oh, good job. We got AI now. We got AI. I feel so much better. Yeah. And you see the memes now go by where it's like AI is a bunch of if statements. Like, you know, like we're I not know. serving the yeah. cause well when we take these relatively simple problems and brand them that way. No, but I have learned that I can't fix that problem. Right. That's not one that I can fix. Mm -hmm. I can help people understand a little more about what AI is and what AI isn't. Mm -hmm. And I can help people try and look at their problem first. But I can't fix, I mean, I'm not going to fix the mass media. You can't <laughs> fix crazy? No. Okay, that's and, fair. And <laughs> most problems can just be solved with logic, right? I mean, a lot of them can. Logic and data. Yep, or not, some basic machine learning. Yeah. You know, if you just want some classification or people right. just need some regression and... And then they slap AI on it, which mm, I mean, whatever. Out comes the squirt bottle. Yeah, and but a lot of them, yeah, you know, either you're looking for some trend analysis, right? Mm -hmm. I want to see, you Predictive. know, yeah, right. I want to see where things have gone, yeah, and then I want to predict what's coming next, right? Which isn't AI, but you mm -hmm. know, close enough. Yeah. So what is AI then for you? Where do we hit? We actually cross that threshold. Yeah. So for me, um, AI gets into that realm where you were talking earlier about where people don't, they can't understand what's kind of coming right. out of it. Like now we've got a computer making some decisions or are giving you some information, and you don't really know how it's doing that. So for how me, how do you know if it's correct then? Well, no, you definitely, so that's another part of the puzzle is you have to have some manner of success criteria. Right. And feedback, right? It exactly. Has to, yeah, it yep. has to learn that was correct and it gets better at predicting. Right. So, yeah. So one of the ways that I look at it being AI is something like a, you know, a feedback loop to where it, but not so much, it's got to learn itself. So you give it some criteria for right. how well it's doing and let it yeah. kind of go and figure that out. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the unsupervised learning, um, not just from like the unsupervised clustering, but the actual learning part. Anytime I feel that the computer is learning, I, I dump it more in the, the AI, AI bucket. Yeah. Um, just to, call, to pull up an example, it's, an, it's from a few years ago, it was, a, a vision system for identifying flaws in, in bottle manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was it was better than any human solution. Not only was it faster, but they were keeping the bottles that it was selecting that were bad. Right. And then they were studying them, say, like, were these bottles actually bad? And mm -hmm. often, like, the human would say, this bottle looks fine. And it wasn't until they really dug in, it was like, oh, no, there's a seam on the inside that's incorrect. How did it see this flaw? Yeah. yeah. Like, well, and so that, that's sort of another way that I explain it to people is AI is about things that we do that are intuitive that we don't think about. Right. So like mm. when you're driving a car and you look out at the landscape and you, your brain just knows that's a tree, that's a sidewalk, that's a kid on a bike, that's mm -hmm. another car. But you don't think about that. No. You're not consciously saying that's a tree, that's a car. 
But the computer has to learn that and it has to figure that out. Or, you know, if you're hearing things, you know, I can hear all the background noise. And if I just kind of tune myself a little bit, I could probably make out what people are saying or I can know that that's somebody walking up the stairs or whatever. Mm. Um, But all of those things are hard for computers. So anytime we get into that realm, I find that to be more... AI as the sensing part, the things that we do, judgment calls that we make, things that are mm-hmm. subjective, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and and in language, things that are hard. So when I tell my kid it's raining outside, I'm not telling them that it's raining. I'm telling them to go put on a rain jacket right. or get an umbrella. Right. And, and how does the computer know to do that? Those are the hard problems. To and make that's that jump. for me yeah. is the AI. Yeah. Part. How does an input source change a set of behaviors that are not specific instructions? Well, we right. were talking about neural nets and how people really don't know how, I mean, they know the process of how things work, but why? Right. Right? We just know that they work and they, they do a pretty good job of predicting and finding patterns. But nobody really knows what's going on in there. I mean, it's the same thing with our brain. Yeah. Right. Right. Like if you were trying to deconstruct our brain and say, how do I know that you two are two different looking people? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I don't know how my brain does that. It's the same thing though. You know, I've heard there's, we've sort of hit a wall, I think with some of the neural net stuff, like we're kind of doing going deeper, but there is this idea that, if we want to go further, if we want to go past, we're going to have to do something different. Sure. And so I don't know if neural nets are going to be the end all be all. I feel like we're going to have to, we haven't had a breakthrough in some new technology in that way in a while. Basically, so, yeah, it was basically hinted in 2011. Right. So, and so neural nets, he worked on that in the eighties mm-hmm. and then he's sort they've of, been around for a while. Yep. He wrote the paper on rap pop Propagation, but said the hardware can't take it and just sort of sits on the shelf for 20 years. Yep. And then his students take it off the shelf and kick all this stuff off essentially with that paper. Right. He's now saying we're, we've hit the wall. Right. It's the same kind of thing with Moore's Law, right? Like we kind of, we did great and now we've got supercomputers and right. we've got cell phones, but we're, we're getting to the point where we're packing them, you know, too far in and we're going to run out of with the materials that we've got and that sort of thing, we're going to have to do something different. Is the problem with neural nets, and I think we've talked about this before, Richard, mm-hmm. the problem with neural nets is that you, you train them with history data, right? Let's just take stock prices, for example. Right. And everything is going fine so long as every, you know, the, the, the paradigms are the same, like mm-hmm. the, the, the markets are the same, uh, the economy is the same. As soon as something changes, you know, a, a technology comes along that makes some companies obsolete and then others grow up right. like they fall down yes they, because they're they don't they're have biased training. by the biased. data that they've seen right so that's may, a is, whole nother discussion is that <laughs> what we're talking about when we say hit a wall um for me i think you know neural nets kind of can do so much and now we're making them deeper we're making them bigger more layers mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. more nodes and all that stuff but at the end of the day how i mean how deep are we going to go is it are we're going to get diminishing returns eventually yeah. i mean are we going oh. deeper because we can see that our current depth isn't enough or because we're out of ideas let's go <laughs> like, i got this knob let's turn up that knob uh. well that's sort of it right, right. like oh well if, if it did 
if I went from one to five layers and it did better, well, right. let's try five to ten, 10. layers and, and whatever. But where do you go after that, right? Sure. Like where do you, if 20. you go, yeah, well, if you go to 20 layers and it's not doing significantly better, maybe it's doing worse. Like, what yeah. do you do after that? Mm-hmm. We don't have another option necessarily. What's What's next? That you if, think. If I knew that. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, that's a couple more bits of Nobel Prize. Yeah. You know, this is really funny. I rarely look at my Facebook feed, but I happened to see this woman who said, hey, this clairvoyant thing is working out for me. Oh. And she said, Maybe anybody interested in me telling their future, ask this person. She said, you know, I nailed this prediction and I nailed that prediction and I nailed this prediction. So me being the wise ass, I left a comment. Shouldn't you know who's interested in being (laughs) in your clairvoyancy? (laughs) She wrote back, touche. All right. Points for self-awareness. It's like the, the psychic friends hotline, you know, went bankrupt. Hey, too bad your psychic friends couldn't see that coming. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, there's a question about building artificial, our current artificial technologies to create a new artificial technology, artificial intelligence technology. Should we there's, do that? Should we? <laughs> well, I mean, that it's an interesting question, and I don't know if any, you know, there, there are so many people on each side of that mm-hmm. debate, right? It's like, um, you know... Should we should we do this? Should we do that? A lot of people are like, no, you know, that's mm. that's not ethical. This isn't ethical. At the or same it could time, get us like, in yeah, right. Like, where are we just going to stop here? Are we yeah. just going to like? Mm. No. Have we ever? We don't do that. Exactly, and that's the thing that I think the other side is like, look, it's not a question of should we. Like, we can't stop this train. Sure, but we can pool our resources and come together. That's where the responsible AI is stuff that's coming in, ethical concerns. There are a number of people having those conversations. And those are the things that are going to be used to make sure that the future is a little bit safer with all the stuff that we're coming out with. But look, I mean, the tools are out there for anybody to use and they don't come (laughs) with a moral test. It's true. You know, anybody can use these tools for nefarious purposes if they want to. Well, But that's been the case all the time, right? I mean, you've got cameras and you've got... You know, we, we've always had stuff like that. Well, it doesn't mean that you're capable either. And it doesn't, you know, the tools aren't magic. Right. You know, we've, we've managed to keep nuclear weapons from destroying the planet. I don't think Somehow. these guys bad at this well, level. Well, you can't go to GitHub and download a nuclear weapon. Yeah. You can't really do that with a neural net either. There's more to it than that. You can that, say the right? same thing about guns, right? Yeah. I mean, you, how do you, what is your stance on guns? People shouldn't have them because then it makes it easier for them to kill people, right? Well, I, I look at the empirical data in front of me, and most of the Western world has figured out that you should keep them under some degree of control. Right. So what I'm saying is this code is not under any kind of control. Anybody can go download a library and use it. Yeah. But it... it it doesn't become dangerous until you put it into some practice. So that's where the control needs to come in. Mm-hmm. Is so, for example, when hmm? how can you control that? Well, so if you are in a corporation, there needs to be a good bit of like your governance department needs to be able to. So if if you can't, I mean, I would think unless you're in a smaller company, you can't just go and deploy a neural net to your systems. It's the same thing when you're writing code. You've got a QA department that is testing these things out. You're going to need QA 
for machine learning models. Yeah, but okay, I, I get that if you're in a company, but usually it's not the people that are in legitimate organizations that are going to do nefarious things with technology, right? I mean, it's they, true. they, well, a guy in a basement with a whole lot of cloud compute power and 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 good bandwidth. Well, can, I don't, the cloud can, compute uh, power is not in his basement. No, 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 but he's got access it's to it. It's a cloud. Yeah, He's got access to it like everybody else does. Yeah, it's just a question yeah. of what constraints they could possibly put on that, which, I mean, all of these partnership and AI companies, they're all the big cloud vendors. Mm. Right. For me, so everybody gets all freaked out, and we had a whole freak out about data privacy. Mm -hmm. I have yeah. a, you know, a, a pseudo-uncle who... I avoid at family gatherings because every time he, you know, tries to talk to me, he's like, what are they doing with my data? And you work for those Facebook people who, you know, <laughs> right. who steal all my data and they're doing all these things. Is, is your answer, why are you talking to me? We're recording you right now. <laughs> yeah, right. It should be. <laughs> um, it, but I, I don't know. I'm not on the paranoid train because no. I'm like... Nothing has changed. No. We have had, I mean, people could go to the courthouse and look up your information. No, people true. could steal your mail when mm -hmm. it was in the mail, you know, mail service. People could go and stake out your house in a car and take pictures. Sure. And people have always been doing nefarious mm -hmm. things with whatever level technology we have. People have always had more information about us than we would like. It's mm -hmm. always been out there. Yeah. Okay, so people are like, well, it's easier. Well, it's also easier than to safeguard some of it. We've sure. got like identity lock and we've got these other things. So <laughs> I am not paranoid about that particular thing. It's yeah. just, I feel like we're in the same spot. Just everybody's now aware of it and people get all upset. And in the end, the guy in the basement can make a, some kind of, of neural net, but it doesn't mean it's going to do anything. In yep. the end, you still have to interact with the world. I mean, the guy in the basement can look up how to make a bomb and sure. then go and make one. Yeah, and occasionally well, they do. Yeah. Well, and then, and odds are it doesn't work because making bombs are remarkably difficult. And the most likely person to be hurt by the bomb, the first bomb someone makes, is the guy making it. Yeah. Right. And then, even if all of that works out, you still have to put it somewhere. Like, there's still the physical effort of, of creating yeah. a device. And right. don't get me wrong, I'm not the paranoid type, but I do like to rub up against the sort of. Get people thinking about the ethics of this stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and well, and, and I think funny. they are. Because so, yeah. a, re a far realistic scenario for for natural language is writing fake news. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, completely electronic space kind of thing, creating accounts on Facebook and and putting up ads. Fake. You know, doing the Cambridge Analytica thing. I mean, you want to talk about the closest thing to sort of AI that has actually had an impact on the world? I think what Cambridge Analytica did for Brexit. It's true. It's not trivial. Like, but people have been, again, yeah, people this, have been doing that for years. Yeah. They put out pamphlets with mm -hmm. inflammatory information. They go door to door. Yeah. I mean. What was brilliant about what Cambridge was doing is that it was down to the individual person. Right. They literally were tailing ads to people, but presenting it because of the way Facebook presented it as if it was a pamphlet. Right. That it, everybody saw this right. and only they saw the it. People on the street corner passing out pamphlets and screaming at the world are easy to put in a box. But when it's something that uh, fakes you out, that you in, in your trusted source of information. And in your trusted space. And in your trusted space, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I'm certainly not in agreement with a lot of the stuff that's sure. <laughs> that's been going on, but nor do I feel like we're at such a a weird 
scarier place, I guess. Mm, yeah, I feel okay. like we're in the same kind of place with different stuff. Sure. Yeah. And, and the fact that we're talking about it is part of what would be scarier is this is going on and we're not talking about it. Yeah, right. Right. right? That right. Clearly, there is now an effort. It frustrates me that I, you know, not that I'm a fan of Facebook, but they're actually very well placed to make the situation better instead of worse. Yeah. You know, that they would use this kind of technology to help us filter out the fakes. Mm. Right. I'm not so I don't agree with the statement, but the statement it's still there that is that their obligation. What's that? I said, but is that their obligation? Only if we make it so. It's recognizing true. that we being through our representatives in government. It's true. Right? We yep. can make rules that say if you live in this position, you have these responsibilities. Right. Yep. And I wonder if that's exactly where we're headed. That it's possible. We're kind of at this I I read I was reading uh, newspapers from the 1910s when they were talking about the plague of the automobile. Yep. Yeah. Before there were driver's licenses and traffic lights were incredibly rare, but cars had become more popular and there were needed rules. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's what I, I guess the point I was trying to make is that mm -hmm. that's always been happening. Yes. Yeah, so so yeah. we're just in the cycle for this now. Yeah. Right. Uh, but there's a clear, there's also clear concerns about freedom of speech as well sure so you have to sort of there has to be a balance i'm always i'm, I'm decently moderate and pretty much everything so mm. i want to make sure that you know we're not going too far this way into the paranoid like we've got to censor everything blah blah yeah, blah right. but we're not this far where everybody can do whatever they want all the time right and that's in my mind the purpose of a society and a government and whatnot and, we, and i feel that there are people out there who are doing who are asking the questions about ethical AI, about mm -hmm. you know making sure that we're putting these these policies in place, and I generally believe that those things will happen organically. Yeah, no, I, I'm, and I'm feeling more activist about it. About it's going to happen because we insist that it happens. True. It's not unusual for this to happen. So in that sense, it's sort of organic. Of we get to these, we have been to this plot before. And we use exactly. our, our, our civilized constructs to correct them and to control right. them. Uh, and, I, and I don't know that Ed, this is a special, especially a unique time then. Like we've been here before. Yeah, I, and that's, I think, why I don't freak out about it. Because I don't feel like anything is... One of the is, aspects is, that bothers me, just as someone who's been in computing for a really long time, is I still don't feel like we're professionals. <laughs> right, like we say, you are more educated and, and more sort of uh, you know identified as an expert than most people in our industry, and hmm. you know at least when it was nuclear weapons, it was physicists and they had a body mm. and there was a set of ethics already attached to it. Right, mm. engineering, you don't get your degree without taking these ethics classes. How many software developers have taken an ethics class ever? That's mm. true. There needs to be that form of education going mm -hmm. on and I do see in conferences that there are more there was a talk here mm -hmm. on responsible AI I went to AI um, O'Reilly's AI conference and right. there were a number of conversations about that so at least those are starting to get out there yeah, yeah. and I think that they will um, but they're not required they are not that is true yeah. they are not required and I so in my mind there's there's two levels of danger right the level of danger where people are going to be putting things into production that they don't know work very well, yeah. you know, right. you know, that's, it, it's sort of a, 
a lesser danger than that danger of like the AI taking over the world danger, right? Mm -hmm. Of somebody actually getting very hurt. But I sort of... But I, I st and I still put that in science fiction. Right. Right. We're not, we've never seen a case of an emergent intelligence ever in history. Like that, yeah. that seems like fiction. But somebody making a specialized AI for doing stock trading and bankrupting the company in the process, that's happened. Yeah, it has. Right. Yeah. For me, there's, there's a certain type of person that always worries me. Mm -hmm. So when you are learning something, there's a point when you start where you don't know anything and you know you don't know anything. Right. And then there's generally a part where you learn enough about that that you think, oh, hey, I'm pretty this. good at this. I yeah. got this. I know where it is. <laughs> yeah. And then when you learn just a little bit more, you turn this corner and it's like you thought you got to the top of the mountain, but you realized you got to like the top of a hill at the bottom of the mountain. And you right. look up and right. you're like, oh, my gosh, I know nothing. I've only learned Again. enough now to know how little I know. Exactly. Yeah, and right. so for me, yes, I'm considered an expert in, you know, natural language processing. I don't there's tons of stuff I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at that point, I know what I don't know. And right. it's the people who never get to that point of knowing what they don't know that are the dangerous sure. ones. Sure, right. Like, and those are generally people, you'll notice them. They're the people who are cocky. The yeah. people who are argue nope. with you when yeah. you know they don't know anything. Nothing you know? more certain than an amateur. Exactly. Yeah. And and those are the people, I think, who are sort of the danger. And I, and I preach on the soapbox a lot just so everybody will kind of look out for them because... Mm. But not everybody does that. There sure. are a lot of people who recognize from the very beginning that they don't know enough. And most of the people that I talk to, they are actually scared of putting something together because they feel like they don't know enough to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, we've got tons of experts. Go take your thing to them and talk to them. And so that becomes an avenue for them figuring that out. So we have speech to face. Now we can have speech to BS. <laughs> yes. Right? So we That's need an app for our phones where we can just detect that kind of person. Are you full of it or not? Are nice. you full of it? Well, in an earlier show we recorded here, uh, the, the guest actually, it was Debbie, wasn't it? Yeah. The produced. She, I've got a link to a Department of Defense uh, paper on how to identify agile BS. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. When the DOD is saying, this is what you should look for. And it's almost exactly what you're describing. I yeah. did oh, read yes. it. It is that amateur certainty. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, you learn enough. You think, oh, yeah, this Got is this. easy. Yeah. This right. is fine. And you never turn that corner. Yeah, it's just yeah. that and view you're like, oh, my of how gosh. big the escape is. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it either, right? Like, you do want to learn. No, for sure. Everybody should. I, I generally recommend that they... Because they look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, the landscape's so big. I don't right. know where to start. Well, and I'm like, pick something small. Right. And then what you're going to do is if you learn enough about that, you're going you're gonna to figure out what the other things are mm -hmm. that go along with it that you should bring in. Mm -hmm. But start, don't try and learn machine learning. Pick maybe like, you know, uh, clustering or pick classification or pick regression, something small that you can use with a number of your business cases. Mm -hmm. I could definitely say that I went through that process just being an interviewer on this show. Sure. You know, we, uh, you know, in the early days of .NET, we kind of got a little smug that, you know, we knew all this stuff and then this whole world opened up, you know, and it was like, wow, there's so much stuff I have to learn. It's a little overwhelming. It is. But, but I do remember turning that corner and seeing the mountain 
you know, being at base camp and looking up for another 14,000 yeah. feet to the top of Everest and saying, oh, this is going to take a while. <laughs> I, I still <laughs> feel like I'm down there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so much stuff I don't know. Do you think, yeah, I, I can't imagine taking ethics around AI without also having done some stuff in AI so you even know why there's an ethical conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it's like you, You've got you to almost have some can't context. learn this up front. No. It, I, I feel like it's like learning software architecture having never programmed. Yeah. Until you've built some code and kind of made a mess, yep. yeah. then you can't really dig into why architecture patterns matter. Yep. I think, I think making a few machine learning models and, and getting into trouble, like amplifying a bias or something like that, just sort of seeing that. Yeah would ground you in why I want to understand the ethics of this and some practices for, for actually making sure I, I do things well. Agreed. Yeah. And it, I, I, I do think, just like everything else, that that will just sort of eventually migrate into the kind of natural pathways that t- people are taking. So either if they're taking like a data science master's degree or something, I think they'll add a course in there. Just mm-hmm. like in the last couple of years, all the data science stuff has popped up. Mm. That stuff is just going to eventually make its way in. We've yeah. already started putting, at, at my at PwC, we've already started adding that into some of the data science trainings that we're doing. And we're deploying tools around responsible AI where you can kind of run your models through it and test biases. People are now putting out toolkits that you can use to test the bias in your data, in your models, that type of thing. So wow. they're coming, and and they're going to become they'll be they'll be more ubiquitous, I believe. Yeah. It occurred to me to grab a link to Fate, the Fairness, Accountability, Transparency, and Ethics in AI. As mm-hmm. another one of those groups is specifically pressing on this whole the the data bias issue. Yeah. Well, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of that stuff only comes up when things go wrong. Sure. So we're going to have some instances where some they've already had it. You know, you'll see articles about, you know, something is trained on a whole bunch of images of, of white people. And right. so then it yeah. can't, you know, it can't function when it when it reaches a person of color. Right. That's when um, artificial intelligence becomes natural stupidity. <laughs> right. Well, and those things are going to have to happen before this stuff gets picked up. That's how it happens with anything. Sure. Right? And, it, and it arguably it is happening. Yeah, it yes. is. Um, and the fact that these groups are emerging is part of it. So I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a call to action here, but it's do some experiments and then dive into the, the ethical and, and bias problem. Yeah. Learn a little bit about it and share it with your colleagues. Be like, hey, I read this blog that was awesome. Or, hey, mm-hmm. I went to this talk that was awesome. I think we ought to look into this. And, and it'll... But I also like the idea of building a couple of machine learning models to learn the tools and recognize that you haven't scoped the output well. Right. Like, we've got some output here, mm. but I haven't done a lot of ethical and bias consideration on it, so let us be skeptical of my output. <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah. I'm glad the tech work. I don't trust my results. That's good. That's yeah. a hard thing to instill in people. But. Yeah, because when we were talking about this earlier, it's like sometimes when the machine spits out data, we just presume it's awesome. It's true. It's probably not. Because it's a computer. Yeah. Mm. No, we, no it's funny that we went from, you know, it used to be that, that whole idea of you know the computer only does what you tell it to right yes. whenever you were mad at it and you're like banging on it and everybody be like well it just did what, what you, you told, told it, it to because something wrong in your code but now we're like oh no the computer's infallible yeah no it's still doing it's just still what, doing we what tell you it told it to, it to. You, <laughs> you fed it biased data and it gave you biased results there's, yeah. a, there's a great line in the song igy which stands for international geophysical year by donald fagan mm-hmm. on the nightfly album just machines that make big decisions programmed by fellas with compassion and vision. 
<laughs> right? Yep. It's sort of like a rosy view of the technological future from the 50s. But uh, I don't know. Are we there? Are we, we are. there yet? I think we're working on the right problem. Yeah. Amber, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Oh, for me? Let's see. Um, I guess just kind of keep going on the path that I'm on. I'm kind of, we're working on a number of internal stuff at PwC around AI frameworks, ethical stuff, trainings. Um, I hope to speak a couple more times. I tend to speak at Code Mash um, every year, which is a conference. Great in show. Ohio. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and so I want to do that. I, uh, <laughs> I've been speaking for a number of years now, and this has all just been something that I fell into and have been trying to figure my way through. So I, I got to figure out how do you get to the keynote part, yep. right? Yeah, like right. that's my next uh, sure. next step. But I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how you get there. So and for those who don't know, what is PwC? PricewaterhouseCoopers is yeah. one of the big four the accounting big four. firms in the U.S. It used to be two of the big five. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to be working there because, you know, one, everybody assumes I'm an accountant. Right. Um, and two, <laughs> it is a massively large firm. But the tech tech department, we're, we're kind of small oh, yeah. and we're growing. So mm. it's almost like a startup within a large company and all the problems that both have. Mm. So it's been an interesting journey there. Um, and I'm trying to kind of work towards changing some of the culture to a more tech culture because it's a different thing, right? Like tech people, we're, we turn around a lot. You know, it used to be everybody was in jobs for 20 years, mm. right? And in tech, that's not really a thing, not often, right? You're right. like two years here, three years here, yeah. I'm going to hop around, right? right. And yeah. PwC needs to kind of change. And I mean, I think honestly, all of the large firms that are now trying to do a lot of the tech in-house are going to have mm -hmm. to change some of their focus and some of how they onboard those people, how, how they, they train them, them right, yeah. how they, right, all that stuff. So yeah. it's that's an interesting journey as Absolutely. well. Well, Doc Am, thanks for hanging out with us. This has been a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure everybody else has too. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...